The Internet of Things has been at the epicenter of technology discussions, market projections, and electronics designs for several years. And depending on which report you read, the IoT is predicted to have between 10 billion and 50 billion connected embedded devices by the end of this year. Regardless of the actual estimate, this is a huge number. But have you thought about what it is that's being connected? For the most part, these IoT nodes are designed to gather status information about a real-world physical activity at regular intervals. To do that measuring, monitoring, and detection, we need all kinds of sensors. To talk about sensors, I have with me today Dr. Jay Esfandiari, Senior Product Marketing Manager for MEMS and Sensor Products for ST Microelectronics. Jay, welcome to the Tech Between Us. Thank you, Raymond. Thank you for having me. You know, Jay, I still remember you coming to Mauser 10 years ago and giving our engineering team a detailed look at the MEMS sensors and the portfolio at ST. What are the most common sensor types today, and how are engineers using them? Yeah, so the, the sensors that I'm going to talk about today, Raymond, these are MEMS sensors. So just make it clear, uh, you know, there are a lot of different type of sensors out there, but we focus on MEMS sensors because these sensors are really, uh, in terms of performance, in terms of size, in terms of cost, uh, they have been very attractive to uh, many market segments, to so engineers, uh, because they have been able to develop applications at a very cost uh, uh, effective manner. Uh, the first type are, are the inertial sensors. The second one, we call that environmental sensors. So I will talk a little bit about each of these uh, category of uh, products. And then we have magnetometers and, of course, MEMS microphones. So in terms of inertial sensors, an inertial sensor measures the acceleration and the angular velocity of an object uh, that is in a three-space, uh, three-dimensional space. And those uh, three axes are uh, perpendicular to each other, so mutually perpendicular. So uh, when an accelerometer gyroscope uh, are put together in one package, you call that an IMU, which stands for Inertial Measurement Unit. IMUs measure the acceleration and angular velocity based on the physical laws of motion. Okay, so these are every um, place that you go, where you want to measure the motion, these sensors are very handy. Okay. Now, in terms of environmental sensors, this is a number of sensors that you put into this category. And this is, these are like uh, pressure sensors, uh, temperature, humidity, uh, some gas sensors, for example. These are called environmental sensors because they are measuring the environmental um, or the parameters in our environment, like temperature, like pressure. Then we have MEMS microphones. So these microphones are um, a new generation of uh, uh, microphones compared to ECM microphones that are very small, very cost-effective, very good performance, very high signal-to-noise ratio. And they have been really very, um, very useful for many applications where ECM microphones were not able to penetrate. Right. Uh, so the last category that we have is the magnetometer. So the magnetometers are actually used to measure the density and the direction of magnetic field in an environment or like earth magnetic field. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have a compass module, for example, compass application, that's where you use a, a magnetometer to measure the earth magnetic field. So, so that's a separate category unto itself outside of the environmental sensors. Yes, yeah. I mean, this is what we just, the way we categorize it. Now, if you look maybe in the literature, literature everybody is doing differently. Uh, some right. people do based on the technology, you know, without getting into too much technical details. But this is a very high level breakdown of type of sensors. And that's when you talk to engineers, they usually don't talk about the technology of the sensors, but the type of the sensors, you know, they want to measure right. the acceleration. They want to measure the temperature. They want to measure 
measure the sound, right? So that's where they talk about the uh, type of sensors. Right. And, and that's a huge number of sensors. Uh, you know, and Mauser has over 18,000 sensors, part numbers in stock. So as an engineer, um, how do you go and find a particular sensor for your particular application? So if, you know, the first thing that when you start to look for a sensor, you probably know what type of measurement you want to perform. You want to measure right. acceleration, you want to measure pressure, you want to measure temperature, whatever, right? So based on that one, let's say, let's take as an example an accelerometer, which is an inertial sensor, as I mentioned earlier. So if an engineer comes to your website and looks for an accelerometer, most likely they will type, accelerometers right so they Correct. will get right. they will get a lot of uh, you know information you guys i assume sell a lot of uh, different type of accelerometers but no if they really want to select the right one for their applications there are a few parameters that they need to keep in mind uh, for example how many axes of you know acceleration do you need do you need one axis just to like for example measure the earth gravity do you need two axes or do you need three axes okay so this is the one the parameter number one that you need to pay attention how many axes of, mm -hmm. of accelerometer you you need the second okay. one is the acceleration range this is very critical for any application. Let's say if you are going to run or walk, let's say if you are using in a, in a pedometer application, if you are walking, you need a maximum full-scale range, let's say, of 4G. But if you start to run, you need a uh, full-scale range of 8G or 12G, depending on how fast you run and how uh, serious you run. So that is very critical, the full-scale range that is required for your application. So that's the second thing. The third okay. thing is, the, so are you going to look at an analog or digital accelerometer? Depending on type of uh, you know, output that you're expecting from the sensor, then you need to pay attention to the connectivity options. You know, I2C or SPI, depending on your system requirements, you choose the right one for yourself. And the other one that is very important, actually, is the operating temperature range. So if, let's say, mm -hmm. you are going to use a sensor in a car, in an environment where the temperature is pretty high, let's say above 105 or 120 degrees Celsius, then you need to make sure that your sensor will cover that range. Because when you look at the sensor and the data sheet of it, there are some parameters are given there that are guaranteed for a specified temperature range that the device is characterized for. So if you look mm -hmm. at the device, minus 40 degrees Celsius to plus 85, this device is going to operate in diet range based on the data given in the data sheet. That doesn't mean that you cannot operate in higher temperature range, but that the supplier will not guarantee if you operate the device above that temperature range that is given the data sheet. So that's also very important uh, to pay attention to. Now, there are some other technical parameters like sensitivity, like resolution, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, these, these are, you know, res resolution is the minimum detectable acceleration that a sensor that may, an accelerometer is capable of detecting the sensitivity is the gain of the sensor okay, um, okay. The, the, yep. the change in the output based on and the change of the input of the of the accelerometer so how uh, the gain of the sensor works that is things that are uh, very important for your application because you want to make sure that the device is sensitive enough to uh, let's say detect certain uh, vibration 
or certain acceleration. Right. So you've got to be within the range, but you also had need to have that proper sensitivity depending on whatever application you're actually trying, whatever it is you're trying to measure. Yes. And now there are many other, as I said, this is, if you want to talk about all the parameters, that would be very technical, you know, talking about the noise level, offset, uh, cross-axis sensitivity. There are a lot of parameters, but this is then very specific to the application. Some, some applications are very high demanding applications. So that means mm-hmm. the noise, the offset, the change of the noise and offset over time and temperature. These are very critical parameters when you talk about the high demanding applications. But if you are looking for, let's say, motion detection, if you are picking your phone or so, in that case, you really don't need to worry about too much about the noise of the device or of the offset because you usually can't con- compensate on the softer side. But if you are looking for indoor positioning or navigation, personal navigation, then you mm-hmm. will need to pay attention to those parameters as well. Right. And especially, like you said, I mean, the amount of the accuracy over temperature, I think, is, is, is one of the key parameters that the engineers are looking at. So, Jay, a minute ago, you talked about uh, the, you know, deciding between digital and analog sensors. Is there an advantage between a digital sensor and an analog sensor, or is it uh, just the interface that the engineer has chosen to use? Now, definitely, if you are choosing a digital one, which uh, the most uh, sensors out there today are digital, with digital right. output. And the reason is, for two reasons. First of all, you don't need any external components. Right. So when mm-hmm. you have an analog, you always need a filter at the output to get to that bandwidth that you want, right? To cover right. or measure the signal in, in a bandwidth, the frequency bandwidth that you want. But with the digital, it gives you a binary number. So you read easily from the registers that are dedicated for, uh, for the output data coming from the uh, analog part and the digital part of the, of the device. So answer your questions. The easiest, fastest, and most cost-effective way is to go digital. Now, in certain cases, let's say if some customers, they have been using analog and migrating to digital one is too much work or too time consuming, they might stay with the, with the analog one. So we still have a couple of analog devices, but in the last, let's say, five, six, seven years, we have been doing just the digital because digital is much more robust, much more reliable, and much easier to integrate um, from a software and hardware point of view. So the digital uh, device is the way to go. That definitely. So the migration is definitely from an analog solution over to a digital sensor. Yes. But early days, most of the sensors, they were analog output, right? So right. just, you know, uh, that 10 years ago when I came uh, to you, like, you know, <laughs> 2000, 2009, 2010, we were having like those analog uh, uh, gyroscopes, right? Right. And now today it's all digital, you know. Technology moves on. Yes, sir. You know, one of the big focus areas for both of our companies is the is that industrial sector, you know, which encompasses areas like manufacturing facilities, advanced warehousing, robotics, motor control, and automation. Um, you know, and, and really the industrial Internet of Things, or IIoT, um, along with its close cousin Industry 4.0, have been one of the primary areas where we've seen significant advancements in IoT devices and technologies. Out of the sensors we've, we've, we've been talking about, Jay, is there a, a group that is specifically or, or better suited for um, the industrial space? So to answer these questions, you need to really look at the machineries and equipment that are installed in, in, in an industrial plant, okay? Mm-hmm. 
So depending on type of machines and equipment that you want to monitor, you select your sensors. But what we see in the market, usually uh, you look at the temperature, you look at the vibration, and you look at the noise of the equipment. So that means you need a temperature sensor at least, you need a vibration sensor, Mm -hmm. And you need a microphone, uh, especially when you go into, let's say, you have large gas pipes are running uh, inside the plant, right? So, and you want to make sure that there is no leak in those gas pipes, right, running within right. that industrial plant. So, in, the, in this case, you will need uh, an ultrasonic MEMS microphone, right, that goes up to 80 kilohertz of frequency response. That would be uh, needed to really monitor the no uh, the leak detection of the gas because when the gas start to leak that generates certain noise that is only detectable by an ultrasonic microphone so when you say noise you actually mean audio noise as opposed to electrical noise yes, or anything yes, like that yes yes so when i say noise uh, in this specific case in this context i'm talking uh -huh. about the acoustic noise right that is generated so uh, temperature sensor vibration sensor microphone and of course again depends on type of the plants we have the humidity sensor that people look at it to let's say if there is a water leak Right. Uh -huh. So, in water leak, if let's say there is, there is a certain water coming out, that will change the humidity in that environment. Right. So, with the increase of the humidity, you can, you know, determine that there is something wrong because the humidity cannot go all of a sudden, let's say, from 30, 40 percent to 90 percent or 80 percent. Right. So, there must be a reason for it. Right. Right. And right. then you have the, the um, accelerometer and uh, gyroscope that is m uh, used to m monitor the position of the equipment. Right. Let's say if the, the, an equipment start to uh, uh, vibrate and then all of a sudden it uh, is not in the, the, the stationary uh, condition or is moving or is tilted, the accelerometer and gyroscope can be used to um, collect data. On, an, on the position of the of the machine or of equipment, and combined with the temperature sensor, combined with the ultrasonic microphone, if you combine all these data, fuse them together, you can actually build a knowledge base and then draw some conclusions based on those, the, the information that you collected. Uh, you mentioned the word fusing, and so th that is what's actually meant by the term sensor fusion? Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, these days, for most applications, um, unless you talk about the very simple applications, you would need more than one sensor. Okay, so you mm -hmm. in a, let's say even let's say if you take an accelerometer, the accelerometer is being used for very simple applications. But when you add the the gyroscope, which is another three degrees of freedom to to the equation, then you have six degrees of freedom, which is really sufficient to do a lot of applications for you. Okay, so you can develop applications based on just these six degrees of freedom. Now. To make sure that you get the clean and reliable data of this sensor, you need to run a piece of software, which is called Sensor Fusion. It takes mm -hmm. the data from accelerometer, from the gyroscope, makes sure that the noise is removed, makes sure that any drift over time and temperature is taken care of. So on the output of that software Sensor Fusion, you get the clean, reliable data that then you feed into your application. 
So the sensor fusion algorithm kind of melds all the different sensor inputs or outputs into a single picture that, you know, whatever equipment down the line can use um, to make decisions with. Yes, exactly. Yes. Everywhere that you put these sensors together, one individual sensor uh, um, in itself will not solve all the problems. If you really want to make it reliable, uh, draw reliable conclusions on what's going to happen or what uh, maintenance plan you want to create will depend on multiple inputs uh, uh, from those uh, sensors. One sensor will give you some information, but this is just one piece of the equation. You need more than, more than that. So sensor fusion is really critical to make sure that all the data from those uh, sensors um, are fused together and output uh, to the application in a, in a very reliable manner. And the sensor fusion algorithm seems like it would be very specific to whatever design that uh, that it was going to be used in. Yeah, okay. So if you're looking at the sensor fusion with nine degrees of freedom, this is what you see very uh -huh. often with inertial sensors, with magnetometer. And sometimes you add a uh, pressure sensor to it, then you have 10 degrees of freedom. And that okay. is this, the, the sensor fusion um, of these uh, the, uh, uh, data coming from the sensors. Then it's very important to give you a reliable output for personal navigation or indoor positioning. Like, you know, if you have a firefighters in a building, they are cutting a fire. So you want uh -huh. to make sure that those uh, uh, sensors, they give reliable data so you can locate the position of the firefighter. If, let's say, for a certain period of time, there is no response from the firefighter, then you know that this is something happening. With the pressure sensor, you know exactly at, at the, on which floor um, the firefighter right. could be. With the accelerometer and gyroscope, you can... Uh, locate the position on that floor right and right, so and okay. with the temperature sensor you can actually see what is the temperature in that environment is the fire you know what is the situation there so with that the all the information getting from sensor and reliably fusing them together it gives you very reliable application you know, for some some of the larger applications that are coming forth are things like condition uh, condition based monitoring and predictive maintenance. Are, I mean, would you say there was a, a a standard group of sensors that you would recommend for those types of applications? Now, okay, as we talked I mean, earlier, the sensors are uh -huh. really essential building blocks for any reliable condition monitoring and predictive maintenance initiative, right? So uh, right. the ultimate success of an industrial production and monitoring facility will depend on how many sensors are installed and how reliable those sensors are. Right. Again, and the, the uh, second part of the predictive maintenance program is about collecting and storing the data to analyze, and and you make use of those sensors. All what type of sensors you use, when you use those data, it will all depend on your requirements on the type of uh, plant. But just to summarize, all these sensors mm -hmm. that we talked about, they are being used today for a smart industry, for a predictive maintenance in you know program or solution that many customers are looking at, like, you know, compressors, uh, air compressors. They want to monitor the vibration of it, right? The condition of it. Um, so this, this is a sensor that I mentioned, uh, like uh, the vibration sensor, uh, like uh -huh. the accelerometer, gyroscope, the temperature, uh, or the microphone. These are all put together to give you the complete turnkey solution that, you know, is some kind of becomes a plug and play. So you may develop these solutions and then you install it in the and then in an environment. Now, in, in certain cases, if you don't need certain sensors, you turn off those sensors. 
right? But if okay. you need all the sensors, then you have it there. So it's like a, some kind of redundancy in certain cases. They put some of the people who take our sensors and they, they develop a predictive maintenance. They put all these sensors together to make sure that if a customer needs, let's say, five sensors, they have mm-hmm. already the, the, the sensors embedded there, integrated. They don't need to go and put extra efforts, engineering resources to develop uh, or to implement new sensors. They are all completed or completed completely available in that package. So this is multiple sensors in a single package that are all pre-integrated. And I, mean, I didn't realize you could turn them individually on and off or, you know. Those are sensors, they are not all in one package. They are in one package solution. So when I say uh, package, Got so it. that means you have the hardware and software. This is a the, you know, package solution that I'm talking about. But in terms of hardware, the, some sensors, they are packaged together, like accelerometer and gyroscope. Uh, sure. Some other sensors, like uh, you know, temperature or the, uh, pressure or micro microphones, they are standalone components. They stay all on the same board, right? Now, again, as I said, this is all about how much you are willing to pay for that, uh, you know, case. Now, in because going, uh, starting, adding new sensor to an application, it takes much more efforts than, you know, uh, paying uh, just for an additional sensor. Because usually with this predictive maintenance, the way it works, they pay, you know, for license fee, right? So they install yep. the software, the solution, and then they pay. Now, depending on type of sensors, I assume every time they use an additional sensor, they will be paying, you know, licensing fee, more maybe some additional fee for, for using that specific sensors. They, it makes it solution more flexible, Raymond. More flexible, but but also, but in addition, more turnkey and, and yes. more just, you know, very, very low effort to be able to implement a full solution. Exactly. So imagine now if you are going to use, now probably we'll talk about uh, artificial intelligence as well. Uh, so if you are going to, you know, add new sensor data to that algorithm, mm-hmm. it will take much more efforts than, you know, having already there in the beginning, when you put all the sensors together, you make sure that those data are, you know, used there too. Now, in later, in certain cases, if you want to have a more simplified solution, then you just, uh, you know, remove those sensors, remove, I'm not saying, but like, you know, uh, from the hardware, but from a software right. point of view, you just, you know, ignore those sensors, and then you, uh, you consider the input from those sensors that are relevant for your application. So it sounds like, you know, condition-based monitoring, predictive maintenance, these particular um, functions can generate a, a huge amount of data. Oh, just yes. based on the sensor De- output. Definitely. I mean, keep in mind, uh, let's say if you are looking at a, a, a vibration sensor, right? So a mm-hmm. vibration sensor, you are putting really um, the, frequent, the, the low, uh, lowest uh, uh, the vibration sensor that you usually use, it about like you know, three uh, kilohertz bandwidth, right? So usually you put the maximum the output data rate, let's say you have a thousand uh, the, uh, hertz, for output mm-hmm. data rate. So that means every millisecond you can you have to collect the data for each right. each, each each axis. So they, you have three axes and for each every 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 millisecond you collect the data. Now you can imagine how many data you have uh, from all these sensors in in a let's say time frame uh, of uh, 5 minutes or 10 minutes or 1 hour or or 24 hours. So that would right. be a huge amount of data. That's why you see now they talk about, you know, cloud computing. So if the edge computing is not sufficient to run those comprehensive or complex algorithms, then you go into the cloud because you have all this data 
coming from all these uh, sensors from all the locations and then you will have a huge amount of data I'm talking about 10 to 14 10 to uh, 18 or uh, 24 of uh, uh, bytes let's take a quick break from our conversation with Jay to learn more about the sensor tile box from our sponsor ST Microelectronics the sensor tile box from ST Microelectronics is a ready-to-use development kit for use with wireless IoT and wearable sensor platforms to help you quickly develop and use apps based on remote motion environmental sensor data without performing any programming. For experienced users, the sensor tile box includes a firmware programming and debugging interface that allows for further advanced code development using the STM32 open development environment with sensing AI function pack and neural network libraries. Get started by visiting mauser.com slash stmicroelectronics or click on the link in the description. Now back to our conversation with Jay. In your opinion, Jay, I mean, which is better, uh, you know, cloud or the edge when processing sensor data? So that, again, all these, you know, these questions are very good questions. This will depend on your requirements, okay? You as the user, you know, depends on what you plan to do. In, in edge computing, the majority of sensor data analysis and processing really takes place at the edge, okay? Okay. So, the, so in the edge computing, the machine learning and deep learning algorithms are embedded either in the sensor itself or into an external microprocessor at the node or gateway that you mentioned. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, right. Um, and, and it enables really the developer to take advantage of artificial intelligence at the edge for, you know, capabilities like better user experience, uh, real time data uh, collection, uh, latency, uh, either there, there is no latency or very, very, very minimum latency, better reliability, privacy by design is, you know, one of the concerns for, for, with the, the cloud computing is the privacy, right? And um, mm -hmm. when you use the edge computing, you can also opt Optimize your cloud computing. Okay, so that is you know um, as far as the edge computing is concerned. Now, in terms of cloud computing, you know, cloud computing, as I mentioned earlier, relies on powerful servers for large data. Okay, so right. when you are talking about uh, cloud computing, you are talking about powerful servers in a very large you know, data centers that are scattered around the world to collect it in you know, a large process, data processing. And the main advantage, actually, of the cloud computing is the big data processing that mm -hmm. uses the very complex algorithms and multi-layered deep learning neural networks. Um, you know, usually in a, in a short period of time. So every time that you talk about big data, complex neural networks, then you would need uh, cloud computing. Anything that you can really handle at the edge, you stay at the edge. For the reason, as I said, you know, just sending the data to the cloud, either you use Wi-Fi or radio or whatever you do, right? It, right. uh, you know, it, first of all, the reliability as an issue, the latency, um, the, the uh, safety or security of the data, right? And these are all the factors that you need to consider when you are moving from edge computing to cloud computing. What we have seen, everything that is being done at this moment is, uh, uh, it is small enough in terms of data to be uh, uh, taken care of at the edge. 
Now, if you are talking about the multi-center, multi-location, multi-plant things that, you know, you want to make sure that those plants uh, are synchronized, that all the data are, you know, send it so you have it as a, a, in a central, centralized manner, then cloud computing becomes relevant. But other than that, anything with the sensor, that's why you see that SD has come up with this machine learning inside the sensor that is embedded in the sensor because that can do a lot of work for you without worrying about even running the algorithm in an external microcontroller at the node or in the gateway. That sensor has the capability to already take care of many applications. Like, you know, when you talk about the vibration monitoring, that can mm -hmm. be embedded inside the sensor by using that artificial intelligence or the machine learning uh, core that ST has embedded inside those sensors. So it can, uh, the machine learning inside the sensor, the edge computing at the node can do a lot of work before you move to, to the cloud. So really, the, the, this the, this whole um, the edge computing phenomena is is really actually driving new development and new capabilities within the sensor itself, driving that level of processing even further down, closer to the actual IoT node. Yes, that's exactly uh, correct. And also, as you know, the IoT nodes these are more battery operated nodes, right? So you need to make sure that your battery, you know, the budget, the power budget that you have, they, they, that is used wisely. So if you are going to embed all these things inside the sensor using the artificial intelligence embedded inside, you are also in reducing the current consumption significantly as a fraction of, uh, of an external microcontroller uh, if, if the, uh, as, uh, the algorithm was to run on, on an external microcontroller. It is 90, 95% uh, reduction in, in the power consumption if you run the application inside the sensor and, and rather than at the a node or the edge. So really, I mean, putting by putting the embedded computing capabilities within the sensor, you're saving power. Obviously, you're saving a lot of latency since you don't even have to go to the to the gateway to for processing, um, and you're increasing the performance of your of the overall performance of your system. Yes, that is correct. And also keep in mind, it makes the implementation uh, and integration uh, of those algorithms inside the sensor much easier. You know, mm -hmm. you really use because uh, many of these uh, uh, the features are embedded in the hardware. So it makes it really very easy for a developer to use the registers inside the device uh, and configure in a way that will meet his uh, or her requirements. Right. So it is uh, the power consumption reduction. One advantage implementation and integration and streamlining is another things. Of course, you don't need to pay extra uh, uh, you know, efforts for, for extra effort to develop the algorithms for to run on, say, on an external microcontroller that can be done inside the uh, sensor. So there's a lot of advantages if you use the machine learning core embedded inside the sensor. But again, but you have to make sure that your uh, application will be, uh, you know, uh, implementable inside the sensor. There are certain limitations, what applications you can run inside, because you have a limited number, let's say, of the nodes, uh, uh, of, of the uh, space inside the device. But for many applications that we see on the market, the sensor and the sensor features are sufficient. 
So and you had mentioned, you know, incorporating machine learning and artificial intelligence actually within the sensor itself. You know, I mean, AI is to me is one of the most disruptive technologies that we've encountered so far. Is it um, how how extensive are the AI algorithms that you, that ST is putting into the new generation of sensors? So, I mean, uh, with the uh, new generations, uh, the current one and the future ones, there is always a trade-off, right? So you want to make sure that it is easy to use. You don't increase the complexity of mm-hmm. using the sensor, right? And you want to make sure that the price of the device, the cost of the device remains under control, right? So, but in terms of capabilities, there are certain uh, um, uh, things that you can do, add more nodes to it, add more uh, registers to the device, add more uh, embedded uh, um, IP, intellectual properties into the device. Mm-hmm. But again, there would be a trade-off between, uh, between the cost of the device, the complexity, Okay, and okay. also the, the the features that are embedded inside. So you will always you will have to look at these uh, these parameters before uh, you uh, you know you come up with the device. But just to answer the question: This uh, will continue by adding more processing capabilities inside the device. So that means more complex algorithms will be embedded, hopefully in the future, inside either the sensor or in in a combination of sensors. That you get the data from the sensors and then you run the algorithms in a processing unit, and then you get the data from all the all the sensors and run in inside one processing unit. There are different directions that on the market. You know, depends on on the um, requirements on the market trends. But you want to make sure that you don't offer something that is an overkill, right? You want to make sure that it is available to engineers who are able to use it, who are able to use for their applications. If you are coming out with something that is very complex and very powerful, and for many customers that might not be necessary, that complexity or that, that power. They need maybe something simpler, right? So, so you need a full spectrum of products, all the way from your basic single sensor, just like we, you know, from, from you know a single accelerometer with a digital output, all the way up to multi sensors with embedded AI processing within the actual module itself. What new applications for sensors are you seeing on the horizon? So, I mean, one of the areas that, you know, we have been looking at and we are developing some sensors you will see later this year or early next year, you know, some release from uh, us. But one of the areas that we see is the presence, detection and people counting. You know, in smart buildings, in building controls, uh, all the things that are related to uh, uh, presence detection and people counting. Uh, there are, of course, the, uh, some technologies already out there that, you know, do part of the job. All right. Sure. Uh, but yep. um, what we are doing right now, uh, we are working uh, on a set of uh, sensors that actually does more. Uh, it, uh, it offers you more at better, even better cost. Right, is more reliable uh, that you know than what you see uh, out there. Right now, there are technologies out there like a, a passive infrared, uh, which is based on temperature measurement. Right, uh-huh. this is one technology that uh, you know measures when someone enters a room. Okay, a second method is the ultrasonic technology. We call that, which is based on measurement of sound. Right, right. So this type of technology uh, senses when someone is in a room. You know, and then uh, there is the third one that, you know, combines the PIR that I mentioned, the ultrasonic technology combines together. And then with that one, you can uh, determine if someone enters the room and if the person is present in that area. Right. 
So, and then the, the other one that they are looking at is this, uh, you know, it's already out there, it's optical, which is based on image technology. What SD is doing right now, that, you know, the, the sensor that will come out soon without getting into uh-huh. details, <laughs> it is a sensor that, you know, enables things like monitoring room entrance and exits like other things are doing. It, it can determine how many people are in, in the room. That's very important. Right. When, you know, let's say there are certain rules and from this, let's say city, county or state that there, there are so many people that are allowed to be in the room at the at the at any given time. Right. So that, right. that sensor can can measure how many people are in there. Also, it is uh, possible to locate where people are in, the, in that area. OK, the location of each individual in that area. Let's say if you are 50 people in a room. Uh-huh. And and you want to know where is Raymond, where is Jay, where is things, right? <laughs> so with that's when you know you can actually you know combine this technology with some others to really determine uh, the location of each person uh, or individual there. Another thing is, okay, so you want to differentiate between a human being and an animal. So if a dog is there or or a human being, so that sensor is also able of. You know, um, helping you determine if it's a human being or if it's a, it's a, if it's a dog, right? So these are all additional features or uh, advantages that you will get with these new type of sensors that SD will come out with very soon. So you, I mean, it sounds like the, these are going to be you know much higher accuracy, much better resolution than the current currently available sensors that we have today. Yeah, that one, and also as I said, it gives you more options. You know, in terms right. of field view, in terms of range, uh, uh, in terms of accuracy, in terms of the data that you get from the sensor, how many arrays you have, uh, how many pixels. You know, so because each each piece of data that you get from the sensor is valuable, then you can use it. Uh, you know, and Especially if you are going to, uh, ta- you know, look at the uh, building control, automated building controls, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You need this kind of stuff. Like in an industrial plant, you don't want to have somebody be in that specific area. Let's say after six p.m. afternoon, right? Right. So that sensors can really, you know, monitor to see if anyone is there. Not, you know, somebody enters in, so there are already technologies there. But if somebody is already inside that place and plant, where in, in inside the plant the person is, right? So these are all the valuable information that you could get from, from this sensor. And again, uh, this is one of the areas that we believe it would be very, uh, uh, you know, attractive to uh, many customers. We have already seen a very, very high, uh, um, you know, interest from our customers, uh, you know, when we talk to them about this this new sensor type. Yeah, I can definitely see a, a plethora of, of of applications for that particular sensor. Like you said, you know, smart smart buildings, um, safety, industrial safety, um, you know, occupancy, fire. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can just see you know quite a few applications for that. Yeah, when you talk about the congestion, for example, you you want to make sure that is not you know an area is not congested, it is not overcrowded. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Tech Between Us. We've been talking to Dr. Jay Esfandari of ST Microelectronics about the latest in sensor technology. Jay, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Raymond. Thank you for having me. In our next episode, we'll explore the applications and future possibilities of automotive and the connected car. Discover more Empowering Innovation Together content at mauser.com slash empowering-innovation.